The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. So we've talked a lot about what not to do when you're investing, but uh, what should you be doing? Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Wade, and I'm joined by Alex, as well as our frequent special guest, and we're happy to have him back on the show today as well, Bob French. Welcome back to the show, Bob. I've downgraded <laughs> to a frequent special guest here, guys. Well, let's just say frequent guest. Let's just say frequent guest. It's guests. a very special ah, okay. episode. There's no need to put special. I spoke out of turn, apparently. So Every guest is special. <laughs> These are featured guests. You've <laughs> set the record for most guest appearances. You're like with Saturday Night Live when they have their five-time hosting. We've got to get you a special jacket. Yeah, I need a jacket or something out of this. So. <laughs> I don't know. Something. Maybe a... Go on. You guys can't depend on me. Go. Take it away, Bob. <laughs> tired of carrying you. Yeah. yeah today we... <laughs> what are we talking about today, Wade? Uh, and what is, is this month? We're putting... It, it's the last in the current arc on the investing theme. It's something we will return to in the future again. But uh, we did want to at least... What we'd been talking about a lot with Bob was just what not to do as an investor. And we, shot, we thought we shouldn't just leave that hanging in terms of... We want to talk somewhat about what you should do as an investor. <laughs> and then we'll come back to that again with a future arc. We'll bring back Bob to get further into the weeds on on how to build investment portfolios. But at the very least, we don't want to leave that all hanging at this point. And so we wanted to talk about just these ideas around what investors should be thinking about and doing when they build their portfolios. That's really the the heart and soul of today's episode. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, a lot of it really comes down to, you know, as as Wade said, we've talked about all of the ways that things don't work, um, but you kind of need to do something. So, you know, how do you think about putting these portfolios together? How do you think about what will actually work in the context of your broader retirement income plan? And what does that mean for how you structure your investment portfolio. Um, so, I mean, I think there's there's a couple big kind of big ideas uh, that we can be talking through here, and we can kind of elaborate on on each of them. But you know, I think one of the the best place to start is you know thinking about what risk actually means and what that means for your portfolio. So, you know, I mean, Wade and Alex, you know, whenever you, you start looking at this stuff, the first thing people are always going to ask about with investments is standard deviation. Um, just for the out, audience, you may want to describe just the term. Yeah, standard, standard deviation, deviation is, is a measure of, you know, when you observe something, when you observe the returns of a stock or a mutual fund or whatever, how far? 
are these observations? How far are these returns from the average? And Wait, I thought for sure Bob was going to say it's a measure of central <laughs> tendency. <laughs> I had to stop myself. <laughs> and, and he decided, you know, that, that sounds too much like a teacher or something like that. Yeah, I didn't. I, I started out bad, started about observations here. But, um, but no, I mean, it's just a measure of, you know, when you look at something, how big is the dispersion? Um, you know, the, the actual statisticians are pulling out their hair as I say that. But, you know, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. If you were to grab a random observation, a random monthly return from the S&P 500, how far could you expect it to be from the average return? Kind of a simple guideline. So basically how much volume? Yeah, and about how much with, with a bounce? bell curve shape distribution or like a, the normal distribution, which is a bell curve that you generally expect about two thirds yeah. of the returns to fall within one standard deviation of the mean or of the average. So yeah, it's again, it's that idea of dispersion around the average. How if you get the same return every year and it's a fixed return, it would have a zero standard deviation. You, you know what you're going to get, but like as you move to more volatile asset classes, you get a bigger standard deviation, just more dispersion around the average. Yeah. And that's sort of what we said earlier, like the, if I'm not exact here, but more or less, if, if the average return on the stock market in general is 10%, standard deviation is 17%, then you could expect two thirds of the time a return of 10 plus 17 within that 10 range. minus 17. And that's one that's that's within sort of a you know assuming a normal distribution. Yes, stock market isn't perfectly normally distributed, but for this podcast, it's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, now what we're saying is that's what people think risk is. And Bob, you want to take the comment further of not so um, fast. Yeah, no, no, absolutely not so fast. Um, you know, it is an important number. It is something that will have an impact on kind of your experience with investing, just how much this stuff is bouncing around absolutely is meaningful. But it's not its not how we think about risk. And a good way to think about this is, let's say you have two investments. You have, you know, let's say you're, you got that, you know, 10% average return with the 17% standard deviation. So it's, yeah, market-ish like, um, but it's pretty risky. That's 17% standard deviation. That's a big volatility. And that's 17 percentage points. I always 17 percentage point. Yeah. 17 percentage points. As as Alex said, you know, two thirds of the time, you'll be between a negative 7% return and a 27% return. And I know Alex watches a, a lot range. of CNBC. If they um, ever mention a three standard deviation event on TV, that's just a fancy way of saying less than a 1% chance. No. Um, <laughs> wow. Wait. I thought you were my friend. I thought you were my friend. I don't know. Do they say I that sort of from thing? Bob. I've no heard problem. That that's right. <laughs> those are black swans. No, those are black swans. <laughs> those yeah. are black swans. Yeah, that's yeah. when they say it's a black swan, there's a bubble or the bubble popped or whatever. Right. But let's let's take that kind of market-like return and let's say we have a second investment we have we can choose. You know, this one has it's got a standard deviation of 0. I know what that return is going to be. But the average return is -5% per year. Which investment would you choose? 
More specifically, which one is riskier? Riskier to your investment portfolio, to your retirement plan? Well, obviously the riskier one is the one where you're just lighting your money on fire. The second one is more risky. I would say this too, Bob. Let's say it's 2% a year. Yeah, and it's form, and it's zero uh, yeah. percent standard deviation. You're actually losing money on a real returns basis. Yep, absolutely. You know, we can we can quibble with where that breakpoint is, but just because something has a zero percent standard deviation doesn't mean it's not risky, because we want to be looking at it in the context of well, how much can you spend? The whole point of doing all of this, the whole point of investing, of saving your money and doing all of this retirement planning is to be able to have that retirement, is to be able to have that spending in retirement. And if something's not helping you towards it, if something's adding uncertainty into that, that's risky. That's what risk is, at least for retirement-focused investors. This this also goes back to there's some retirement income, like, echoes here of some some basic tenants and when i'm hearing bob wade and you may want to expand upon this when 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 the sort of the phrase that you hear a lot lately is income is the outcome yeah yeah the retirement Mm -hmm. planning is really it's about an asset liability matching and and liability is just your goals what are your financial goals and risk is not being able to meet your financial goals so in, in simple investing frameworks and it's kind of like with the idea of modern portfolio theory that developed since the 1950s, where, like you're saying, return is just an average return. Risk is measured as the standard deviation of returns. Uh, you kind of assume that the quote-unquote risk-free asset is a treasury bill because it has a really low standard deviation. But that's not absolutely not necessarily a risk-free asset for a retirement portfolio if it's going to ensure, if you like you put... I put all my money into treasury bills because it's a quote unquote risk-free asset. But if that's not going to give me the the ability to fund my spending goals in retirement, then it, it's hardly a risk-free asset in that context. And so, yes, yeah, absolutely. Risk is not meeting your financial yeah. goals. It's not short-term volatility in, in the portfolio. And, and this isn't us trying to be cute with the standard deviation frame and say, oh, no, but we just focus on upside volatility as a, and not the downside volatility. You know, people get into these Sortino ratios and things like that. That's not how we mean it. We just mean on the far side of complexity. Just look at your life. What really is risky? It's not volatility in the portfolio. It's the probability of achieving your goals, you know, et cetera. So that's I, I think that's a good one. We have we came up with five. So what's numero dos, Bob? Well, um, the next one actually is another, I think, pretty meaty one to talk about. It's that the average investor holds the market. That is just on its face a true statement. You know, if you look at it on a dollar-weighted basis, the average investor literally has to hold the market because the average investor, expanded out, is the entirety of the market. So yeah, no, that's good. I, I I think though, just I'm just thinking people reacting right, and so there's an implication here that's that's very important when it comes to asset allocation. Uh, yes. For me, I read that as when I'm deciding, uh, you know, I just won the lottery, I have a million dollars. How should I invest my portfolio? Well, in aggregate, 
investors choose to allocate their portfolios according to the entirety of the global market. And what that means is, technically speaking, again, I don't know the actual numbers, but if the U.S. represents 55% of a, on, on the equity side, the U.S. represents mm-hmm. 55% of the global market. Emerging markets is another, I don't know, 10, 15%. And then uh, Western Europe and Asia represent the remainder. Well, that's how you would choose that, that you can make the case that that is the efficient allocation of capital across the globe because that's how people have chosen to invest their portfolios that way. Does that mean that everyone should invest, should allocate that way because that's a reflection of how the world efficiently allocates that capital, at least on the equity side? Or are there now some wrinkles that you work your way down from? No, there's always wrinkles here, Alex. Uh, There's no, no simple answer on this one. It's we start. Just answer the question, Bob. <laughs> we start with that average, um, and and that's why I was emphasizing that average investor piece, because we're not average. You know, we're all different from the average investor in a number of different ways. Some of them don't matter. Some of them do, and you know, we can start with you know pretty big ones. We're focused on retirement. You know, we have a very long-term time frame where we're looking to fund specific liabilities at, you know, some point in the future. The vast majority of us listening to this here are in the U.S. We're going to be spending our money in the U.S. Um, you know, that means that we're probably going to be wanting to overweight the U.S. in our portfolio. We are also, um, and a lot of people don't realize this, we're also probably a lot less risk averse than the average investor. It's really important to remember the bond market is massively larger than the stock market. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but you know, a good way to kind of conceptualize it is the bond market is roughly twice the size of the stock market. And if we were to hold a true market cap weighted portfolio, it would be about two thirds bonds. It would be one third stock and two thirds bonds. Some people do that. And that's a very, very reasonable way of putting your portfolio together. But most people don't. Most people have substantially more stocks than that. In fact, you know, the bog standard retirement portfolio is 60 40. You know, it's almost the inverse of that. And that's simply because, you know, people are less risk averse than the average investor. So you always got to be thinking about it in terms of, you know, how am I different? How should I be changing the market portfolio to better accommodate my specific situation and better accommodate what I want to be doing with my portfolio? If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. I think I, I think on the domestic market, let's just bring it down to the U.S. market. Yeah. Right? 
And so this is where you hear some people say, just buy a total market index fund and call it a day. Mm -hmm. On the merits of that argument, you can't argue with. But I would say to the degree that you differ from the average market participant, from a financial planning perspective, from what you're doing for a living and your own human capital perspective, I think I, I, th I think it merits consideration to deviate from from a total market portfolio. Uh, Wade, you want to yeah, flesh yeah, that, and also that something out a little bit? Bob had said in terms of like if you're a U.S. based investor, you maybe want to overweight the U.S. investments, and that's the the reason for that is again back to this the first point we were talking about. If your spending goals adjust for U.S. inflation, you want to have an investment portfolio that's better hedged to protect against inflation in the United States. And so that would be kind of the thinking around how you then choose an asset allocation. So you have what are the characteristics of your liabilities, but then also to the, the point you're making, Alex, as well, about what are the characteristics of your assets, and in particular, your human capital. If you have a career in a particular field, you may be over allocated to the equities in that particular sector of the market. And so just at a broad level, as you think about building the most diversified portfolio, you may not want to have your financial portfolio as heavily allocated in an area that your human capital is very heavily, heavily allocated in. And just the extreme of that, that really made this clear was like when Enron had its debacle where people who worked at Enron, their 401k plans, they, this, they were not holding a total market portfolio. They may have been heavily overweighted in Enron stock. Their human capital is heavily connected to Enron's financial position. And then in terms of real estate markets, they may have owned a home in an area that if suddenly Enron goes out of business, Enron goes out of business, the, uh, real estate may plummet in that particular market. And so that's where just thinking about these other characteristics of my situation, my human capital, and even real estate in that scenario uh, can impact how I want to uh, approach my investing allocation strategy. And simply, I may want to not have as much Enron stock in my financial portfolio because all of the other assets on my household balance sheet are heavily um, over allocated to the financial performance of Enron. And that, that's an extreme example of this concept of thinking about how do my assets and liabilities uh, impact how I may want to allocate my financial portfolio. That's great. So the takeaway, Bob, from that point is, listen, the market portfolio is effectively an aggregate however one chooses to hold their mm -hmm. assets. That is the diversified portfolio if you want to make that case beyond the total U.S. stock market because yep. if you just leave it there, your logic is is short. So it, it should expand to the degree that, but it's totally viable then if you're implementing the wrinkle that it's to the degree that I'm different from the global whole, then fine. You begin to sort of slice it up accordingly. Yep. Fair enough, right? Fair enough. And and to be clear, you know, the total market portfolio is not a bad portfolio. It no, is by exactly. definition the most efficient portfolio. You can't, if you're right now holding a total stock market portfolio for the US and you say to yourself, Hey, uh, I'm not I'm not 
you know, and you say to yourself, I'm not getting international because, you know, whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't fly with me or, or whatnot. And I want it the total market because that's the total market. But you're not really thinking about your own personal situation in that. Then your logic is flawed because technically you should get the whole global mm-hmm. portfolio, you know, because it's not like people in Europe are, are all of a sudden dumber than people in the United States, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, you know, but it's totally fine if you deviate, but just know why, because, you know, to Wade's point, you're retiring in the U.S. and you want your you want to hedge inflation, et cetera. So I, I 100 percent get that. Absolutely. Uh, so the, what is it, what's the third one, Bob? So the next one is kind of a, one of the things you just always got to keep in your mind as you're thinking about your portfolio. It's that chance dominates expected returns. So in a lot of these conversations, we'll take a look at the historical data, we'll do a bunch of math, and we'll say, you know, the market has an expected return of, of X. This is what we think the market's going to do over time. And, you know, there's lots of different ways that that statement can be made uh, with more or less humility. But even at the most humble, where you just say, hey, here's what it did in the past, eh, it's probably going to be somewhere in that ballpark in the future. At any given point in time, chance, just the randomness of stock returns, of financial market returns, dominates that expected return. You know, when you think about one of the good examples of this is if you go back and you plot the annual average or annual return of, say, the S&P 500 and, you know, you can do the math, you'll come up with, hey, here's what the average return was. There are almost no individual years that are within like two or three percentage points of that average you do not get that average or expected return. That's something that is kind of an artificial number. And you need to kind of understand that and accept that when you invest in these types of risky assets, especially in the stock market. You know, Alex, you were talking about, hey, here's what the standard deviation range looks like. Again, those are big numbers. They're all over the place. Um, And you need to understand that and take that into account how well you can stay disciplined when we start seeing some of those big numbers on, especially the downside. You know, you don't want to panic during, you know, a market decline. You want to position your portfolio such that, you know, absent something truly crazy happening, you are going to be able to sit it out. You're going to be comfortable Comfortable may be too strong of a word, but, you know, you're going to be able to just ride it out, ride out what the market's going to do. You know, we've all seen, thinking back to, say, 2008, you know, we've all seen those people who sold out, you know, a month before the bottle. They just couldn't take it anymore because their portfolio was too risky. They weren't thinking about that that how chance is what's going to really be determining their returns on a short-term basis here. I guess and maybe one other related idea. So, wait, I mean, you yeah, I mean so much of simple that? kind of investing examples are based on here's a fixed rate of return that may be calibrated to what we think is an average return. 
uh, and then following that X and Y will happen. It's usually an example around how you'll be a millionaire by a certain age, but just with an average return, I mean, the reality is 50% of the time you'll be below average, 50% of the time above average. And it's important to just really remember that the volatility or the, the standard deviation around that average is you're not going to get the average return. You're going to end up getting something better or worse. And you don't have control over what that will be because that's the, the inherent uncertainty that's a part of investing. And that, that really can have an important impact as well, not just what we expect markets will do. No, I, I I think you're both are right. I, I I get two I get two takeaways from this, and there's I'm talking about long term, but it it shows you the look. The markets are efficiently priced. Then what's random is when the news comes in, and that that is that then affects the prices for that day, if you will. But that's just noise, and so uh, you you need to learn to separate yourself from that because if not, it'll it'll just it'll just be an albatross to your investment discipline body. So there, there is that piece to it. I, I think on the other side though, in terms of chance, and this is the, you know, to tie it back to retirement income. And this is why a lot of times, you know, when we look at the RESA study, two thirds of the folks really are looking for contractual income to play some role. And, and you really think about why that is. I mean, the reality is, is you have, if you're just depending on the market, to come through for your retirement, you're somewhat depending on chance. And what I mean by that is not on a daily basis, but you have to retire into a good cycle for stock market returns because the first few years really will dictate a lot of your success from a withdrawal strategy. And so that's why, you know, a lot of folks feel comfortable having a layer of contractual income for essential expenses because I think implicitly, I don't think they... They plan it out like that, but implicitly, what they're doing is they're they're kind of giving themselves this sort of slight immunization or vaccine, whatever it is, for this sort of the chance the the, the chance outcomes that they're going to experience as soon as they enter retirement. They could be doing the best behaviors leading up to retirement, right? But it a lot of it is just out of your control. It's dependent on the stock market cycle in which you're retiring in retiring into, and you know, who knows what's going to happen. And so I, I, that's how I would interpret that from a retirement income. Yeah, simple example there too. Like if you're assuming a, yeah. a 7% return, that means you expect your wealth to double every 10 years. And so that means 10 years before retirement, you're expecting, I mean, the, with cash flows, you make things more complicated, but basically you're really relying on this idea that your wealth is going to double. You're still only halfway to your goal 10 years before retirement. And of course, the reality is over any 10-year holding period, you're still going to see a lot of fluctuations around the average. And that's part and parcel with uh, using just investments as a way to help fund a retirement strategy. Curious if you should be looking at a Roth conversion or what a Roth conversion even is? Head over to McLeanAM.com Roth to get McLean's free ebook. Is a Roth conversion right for you? And learn about when you might want to do a Roth conversion and when you might not. Just head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to download your free ebook today. Yeah. Um, so moving on to, to the fourth point here, 
Um, you know, this is one we've kind of harped on, but it's important to kind of drive it home. Uh, active investing is a zero-sum game. Actually, not even a zero-sum game. It's a negative-sum game. Um, you know, we've talked about the reasons why. Uh, so what we want to be doing, we don't need to, we don't need to spend time on, on why, but you know, what that means is don't, don't do that. Uh, you know, focus on more passive type of solutions. So index funds or, or other passive vehicles that will allow you to target these very specific things that you want in your portfolio and that you can have some some level of comfort, some level of confidence that you'll actually get um, that you wouldn't from an active fund. I, the only thing I'd, I'd like to say there are a couple of things to be careful. And and wait, after I'm done, I think it'd be good because you spoke about it in the last one, just a quick like few sentences on the arithmetic of active management. You mentioned mm-hmm. in the last part, because I think that, that bears mentioning, because if you get that, you kind of see why indexing, right? But I have plenty of friends that say, oh, I index, but they don't really. What what they do is they go back and forth between an industrial ETF or technology-driven ETF or some sort of sector ETF, and they just rotate, you know, and they say, oh, no, but I'm indexing. No, you're, you're really timing the market, you know, across the different sectors. Sure, you're getting a basket that's, that's you know, diversified and passive, but the way you're utilizing that is in a very active tactical manner. And so I, I'm saying that to be a bit of a wet blanket from folks that may be thinking that and, you know, being that sort of conscious, if you will. No, you're not really indexing. You're not really passive if you're just <laughs> sector rotating with ETFs. That, that's not you're missing kind of the the lead, if you will. But that being the case, indexing at its philosophical sense makes sense because of the arithmetic of active management. Yeah, and I, we did. We talked about this quite a bit, but it's really just this idea that the average investor gets the average market return, and that's gross of fees. So then any sort of fee drag uh, expense ratio on those investments just means your average investor is then getting the average return less at the fees. And so fees are a really important predictor of returns and net returns. And, and so the, the lower the fees, it's going to give you more opportunity to have a, a better net of return, net of fee performance. And that's where low cost funds tend to be more passive. And, and that not, then you get into the whole issue of risk you're taking when you move away from the market portfolio. But simply with this point about fees, it's fees are going to take away from the average return that the average market participant can get. And this bleeds into your fifth point, Bob. Yeah, no, absolutely. It definitely does. The fifth point is basically just do the basics right. You know, investing is not, it's not simple, but it's not that hard either. You know, you start, as we talked about, you kind of start with the market, you move a little bit here and there, depending on the specifics of your situation. And then, you know, go out and find you know, well-diversified funds, you know, diversification is the the only free lunch in the market, but you go out, you find some well-diversified funds that very well represent what you want to be investing in. Uh, and then you find the cheap ones that do that. 
you know, it doesn't need to be this overly complicated thing that you watch CNBC every every day at lunch. <laughs> Again, with and, the CNBC. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I decided to be vulnerable, and yeah. this is yeah. this is the reaction. This that was, that is, this was is clearly a, a bad decision. This Alex. is the response I get. That's the last time I'm opening up in front of you guys. Yeah, we'll we'll hold your safe space for for something else here. Yeah. But, um, but it doesn't need to be complicated. You know, this doesn't mean stick your head in the sand and you know throw away every investment every investment statement that you get until you're you know 63 um, and just hope everything's where it's supposed to be. You know, you want to keep an eye on things so you can make adjustments along the way, but you don't need to get crazy. Um, and most people, or at least most people who think about this, they want to get crazy. They want to go down all of the different rabbit holes and nice. it doesn't work. Um, in fact, actually speaking to this, Weston Wellington, I, I think this is his phrase. Um, you know, he actually, he may have even mentioned it on the, the podcast, but you know, he thinks about investing and as like soap. Your portfolio is like soap. The more you touch it, the less you have. So you want to just kind of let it be. You know, set it in place where it needs to be. Do what you need to do. But just generally leave it alone. Yeah, that's a great analogy that stuck with me. Uh, I know it looks like you wanted to mention that. There. I just don't recall if it was on the episode or maybe it was in our pre-episode call. Hopefully it was on the episode. Well. I hate to I hate to say this. Weston said it, but Bob said it a couple of oh, okay. podcasts before I, I as I've well. Well, I, I I got that from Weston. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll give him credit for that. No, no, I, no. It's true. It's true. Uh, and listen, uh, you know, uh, it, it, this to me is similar to investment advice in, in our firm, where it seems after you do this for so many years, to some extent you know, investment advice is just investment, not financial planning advice, but investment advice is almost distilled in two ways. When the markets are doing well, you continually reinforce the clients that it's not always going to be this way and to temper your enthusiasm. And when the markets are doing poorly, <laughs> it's, it's the same, it's the same message. It's not always going to be this way yeah. and temper their anxiety. I mean, that's, that's effectively at the end of the day, investment advice. You know, from from a professional standpoint. Now, obviously, from a financial planning and et cetera, there's more to it. But really, it's it's just that. It's just that in a way that resonates with the clients that that, that you're going over. Why? Because you want to avoid the sort of the the soapiness of things. Yeah. No, and, and this is you know, if you've seen like any of my presentations, you've probably seen this slide: the the fear versus greed roller coaster. You know, when the markets are going up, everyone's getting really, really excited. At some point, they're going to turn around. People get more and more nervous, and then they start freaking out. And at some point, markets are going to come back. And we just keep doing that forever. But what we want to do is just stay on that boring middle line, because that's what actually gets you to the retirement that you want. Wait, can, can you believe Bob? Saying if you've seen my presentation, I don't know if anyone Any on this podcast has seen your. If Wade says that, okay, yeah, there's a good chance people listening in have seen his presentation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I think I think no. that's a safe-ish type of statement here, Alex. Hey, I'm, I'm finding openings. I'm just trying to find an opening. He's technically correct. It's just no, no, it's a great point. <laughs> the best type. One in a million of you that have seen right. it. And I think we're we're at a record here. <laughs> yeah, the one yeah. in the million. Yeah. So you're telling that's me right. there's a chance. <laughs> All right, that's great. And with that, listen, we, we've been through a lot of these episodes. As Wade said, though, we, uh, we should probably go into some financial planning concepts. If right. not, it's invest with style, not retirement, not retire with style. Right, Wade? So, but I, I think this puts a nice bow on the... Listen, we went through what not to do. And I think that's important because Mm -hmm. we're going to get to in in future episodes, not right now, we're going to break it up a bit, but we're going to get into future episodes, the the nuts and bolts of what to do. But again, I can't stress enough on the far side of complexity. If you follow these five steps, you're going to do better than a significant portion of the people next to you. You just will. Uh, and, and with that, you know, uh, that's one to grow on. Right? No one needs half the battle. <laughs> Bob. And so, yeah, exactly. No, right. it's half the battle. There you go. So, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think so much of investing is what not to do. And, you know, that's kind of what we did. And then we'll get, uh, eventually they'll let me back on to, to really go into the weeds on, you know, understanding what's actually going on behind the scenes and and how risk and return actually work within the financial markets. But, you know, I I think for, as Alex said, you know, just doing those basic things, keeping these five ideas in mind will serve you very, very well um, and give you, help you build a portfolio that will be, as Alex said, again, significantly better than a significant portion of investors out there. Okay. Well, thank you, Bob. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll, this is not the longest episode, but it, I, we, I think we covered quite a bit of important concepts. So thank you again, Bob, and hope everyone has a great week and we'll catch you next time on Retire With Style. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.